Welcome to Upstream in Perspective. I'm your host today, Jessica Nelson. On this podcast, we join our experts for a discussion around key initiatives happening as part of the energy transition, and specifically, how digital transformation plays a role. This conversation is part of our DX Talks series, which tackles topics around the digital transformation within Upstream Energy. To hear more in the series, visit www.ihsmarket.com DX. I'll hand the conversation over to our Senior Vice President of Upstream, David Hicks. David, the floor is yours. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of DX Talks. My name is David Hicks. I'm Senior Vice President of Upstream Energy at IHS Market. And today's episode is going to revolve around uh, the energy transition the impact of uh, the digital transformation on that. And I'm joined today by three of our experts that represent uh, different key pieces of this energy transition um, spectrum, if you will. Jenny Yang uh, leads our uh, gas markets um, analysis and expertise. Stephen Nell deals with energy scenarios, climate, and Michael Wynn uh, is uh, Vice President of uh, Upstream Energy. So we've got a fantastic uh, breadth of expertise and I think uh, quite, a, quite an interesting mix of opinions. So I think today, you know, the energy transition is such a big term. Uh, it's quite broad, um, perhaps slightly overused at times. I think it might be helpful, um, perhaps from each of your perspectives, um, to hear uh, where you, how you think of the energy transition. Um, what is it, how do we frame it? And perhaps what are some of the key pieces, key initiatives that are going on right now? And so Stephen, let me start with you. Um, I know that's a broad introductory question, but um, give us a sense of, of the energy transition from your perspective, from a climate company you know, standpoint. Thanks, David. And let me say, uh, great to be with you uh, today. I'm really excited to participate in the discussion. So the energy transition, you're quite right, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. At IHS Market, we've used a, a couple rules of thumb to frame our research on the topic over the course of the, the last couple years. The first is that the energy transition means providing more energy to more people than we ever have before. Our core forecasting assumption for global population foresees more than 2 billion more people coming uh, to the planet over the course of the next 30 years and some pretty big changes in per capita income, meaning a very large middle class will be seeking access to clean, reliable, modern energy technologies. So the energy system needs to expand to provide that diet of wealth and opportunity that uh, many have enjoyed uh, in more mature markets for so long. So that's the first imperative, it's, it's power to the people. And the second point is that we have to change the energy that we're delivering to those people because of the need to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions. So this is the second imperative in the energy transition. It's reducing the emissions footprint associated with how we produce and how we consume energy. And it really depends on what scenario you're subscribing to, what your overall temperature pathway goal happens to be. For example, in our autonomy uh, global energy scenario, which is consistent with a two degree pathway through 2050, 
we see global greenhouse gas emissions declining more than 13%. So as we're catering to the needs of those 2 billion more people, those almost 1.5 billion people that are moving up the, the income ladder, we need to reduce emissions by at least a third. And if you're going for a more aggressive type of technology pathway, um, something consistent with, uh, say, a, a below 2 degree, 1.5 degree outcome, more than 40, getting close to 50% reductions in a 30-year time period. And that's unprecedented because the evolution of the energy system, which has always been in, in transition from a, a certain standpoint, it's never really had the supply of energy qualified in terms of its output. Energy supplies have had to meet certain standards of performance, certain types of yields, contributing quite uniquely to specific economic purposes. We've never had a qualification about what it would take to, um, to meet a, an externality goal. So, so that's really quite unique. That's the way that we frame it at IHS Market. And one of the things my team has been looking at quite a bit over the course of the last nine or so months is how the pandemic recession has been impacting the energy transition. We get asked lots of questions. Are things slowing down? Are they accelerating? And the picture is mixed. It really depends on what market you're speaking about. Um, we look a lot at the G20 because basically those 20 largest economies contribute more than 70% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So that's really where the energy transition from an emissions standpoint is most dynamic. And roughly half of those G20 markets have seen an acceleration of their energy transitions through 2020. And what I mean by that is that the way they're thinking about the rescue or recovery packages for their economies are predicated on coming back better. It's with more of a focus on sustainability outcomes. So it's about um, you know, changing the trajectory of national emissions in some cases. In others, it's about providing new incentivization for uh, in positive environmental outcomes through things like the digital transformation. So it's not everywhere. There's not broad-based evidence of an acceleration in the energy transition, but it's been notably resolute through all of the upheavals that the pandemic recession has brought. And I think that that's really mirrored by what we're seeing in terms of corporate action as well. We track how large oil and gas and also power companies are responding to the risks and opportunities around the energy transition. There's been much more of a focus on um, really aggressive targets, new blueprints for managing emissions across the value chain, all with a view to really trying to appease a more um, sustainably inclined investor and stakeholder base. So from the standpoint of how we're pursuing those objectives of getting more energy to people with lower emissions, there's a lot to be said for how different governments have been shaping regulatory opportunities and also how corporates have been responding. Yeah, you, you raised some great points, Stephen, and uh, the pandemic uh, obviously is impacting everything, but it certainly must be having uh, a significant um, impact, if you will, on on company and government's attitudes. Jenny, you're you're over there in China. You know that is a a, a major global economic uh, power these days, and a, and a great consumer of energy, and not just specific to that region. But from your perspective, and what you're looking at. Um, do you agree? I mean, how, how do you frame up uh, sort of the energy transition and what are the key drivers right now? Right. Thank you, David. I think from the China market perspective, looking at the energy trans transition, it has been ongoing for a while. And for China, that 
transition has been coal diversification or diversification away from coal into other cleaner fuel. Uh, but interestingly enough, after the uh, COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic here, a part of that energy recovery plan was a more sustainable green uh, economy development and the um, the peak of that de development plan was the was President Xi's uh, pledge to strive to achieve a net zero carbon emission for China by 2060. Now, this announcement is of historic um, status because China by far is the largest carbon emitter of the world. Second is that China Chinese uh, energy demand is still growing very rapidly. So we're talking about decarbonization at when energy demand is still growing rapidly. So it's, it makes it extremely, extremely difficult. Now the energy transition that we're talking about here is going beyond that coal uh, displacement. It's going to have to go to even cleaner, lower carbon fuels as an option. Gas may not even cut it in long term by 2060, still has carbon uh, emission there. Now, Part of the driver for China to make this type of commitment, however, goes beyond the net carbon, net zero carbon. It goes with technology development. China is trying to establish itself as a um, technology powerhouse. So new technologies that could enable China to reach that net zero carbon goal and along the way help develop the local economy, help develop export technologies for the rest of the to the rest of the world that's a very important consideration there too. yeah that's that's fascinating that is that is a historic announcement and i'm going to put all of you back on oh, i'm going to put you on the spot later when we talk about this these goals that have been um made public but before we go there mike uh so the upstream energy industry which we know so well is uh always been uh, cyclical and a little bit tumultuous, but certainly in these past few years, for a number of reasons, we've seen um, even more volatility. And a big part of that is sort of the, you know, what we refer to as the social voice and uh, uh, what what role fossil fuels really will play. From your perspective, um, how do you see companies, you know, both responding and maybe a little bit about um, what you think, what strategies are developing uh, in, in this space, which is, you know, impact significantly. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's really interesting to watch what's happening. We, we, we see upstream EMP companies on a sort of scale from those you might call business as usual um, up to those who, who are really, uh, what they consider and promote themselves to be sort of the bleeding edge of um of reformation into in into clean uh, lower tech energy high tech clean lower emission energy providers um that that's a serious transformation going on there um but i think we need to look at what the upstream industry does bring it does bring a huge amount and always has done of innovation um it trials some very aggressive technologies to deliver goals um back in the day those goals were around health and safety a lot of things were done to improve um health and safety and now those are expanding to environmental so there's an awful lot of a lot, a lot of investment a lot of transformation so energy transition 
um, we accept and uh, there is a need to move to a, a much lower carbon operating setting in, in the in the early stage of this. The, the move to low carbon is largely embraced. And then, as you said, David, you're going to come back and put us on the spot about when we will actually get to, uh, say, net zero. Um, but in the meantime, those EMP firms, say the Vanguard, let's take the Vanguard, they, they are variously calling the end of exploration. And what, what does that actually mean? Does it mean that we are really not looking for, um, for new resources to produce anywhere in the world? Probably not quite that extreme. What it probably means is that exploration will be constrained into fewer areas where it can be done more efficiently and it can be tied back to, to, to local infrastructure, existing infrastructure. Um, the game then will be um, handling emissions, emissions for drilling. Uh, for example, will come under the spotlight. Uh, more and more instrumentation, uh, the service companies will have to provide some sort of established baseline for reporting the footprint for their activities. And the same will have to happen for producing assets. Uh, we may see some measure of carbon intensity introduced uh, for the latent potential of hydrocarbon that's still in the ground, so that you can begin to pick and choose between things you probably don't want to produce and things that you could produce and then manage the CO2 uh, through that life cycle. And digitalization, as you're probably gathering, as I'm talking about all these things, I'm thinking of a huge amount of data that's going to be produced. I'm thinking of the pathway to the factory style of operation that the industry has been creeping towards. Uh, I, I think where the difficulty will come, um, everyone's going to walk this walk, okay? Even at the even at the business as usual end of the spectrum, they're going to have to contend with lower prices. So it is in their interest to chase efficiencies and efficiencies should lower emissions. The question will be, can we reach some sort of baseline where apples can be compared with apples? Um, can, can, we, can we report things that the markets, governments and, and the population at large will believe and, and give companies credit for doing as they go through the transition? Yeah, and I, I love that point you touched on, Mike, which is, of course, most uh, traditional EMP entities or even NOCs are working hard to be more efficient, which is driven as much from a profitability uh, metric, uh, which has been with all of them for a long time. But uh, there is a bit of a question about whether that efficiency drive is in line with uh, energy transition and lower emissions. Um, like you said, it, it most likely is because if you're being more efficient, but um, there is sort of the traditional, uh, I need to be more efficient because I need to uh, increase my profits uh, versus I need to be more efficient um, because uh, the climate uh, question is paramount and uh, you know we're, we're driving to this energy transition and, and space. Um, yeah, David, so if I could pick up on a couple of things that Mike said there. There's some, like, it, you know, so representative of some of the key messages that really need to get out. Um, there's a big focus, for example, on uh, the divestment movement when it comes to the oil and gas sector. And, you know, a lot of the stakeholders looking at particularly the pure EMP segment and saying, you know, that is um, more a little more anachronistic relative to the energy system of tomorrow. And I would say quite the contrary who is going to deliver, you know, say the hydrogen economy? 
who has got the engineering acumen required? You know, it's, it's a suite of companies that, as Mike rightly says, you know, have been in the business of providing solutions to the needs of society from, you know, um, over the course of the last roughly 150 years, right? So, you know, we, you, you need that kind of um, acknowledgement of what it's going to take to deliver on what the energy transition is about. Um, certainly efficiency plays a huge part in that. And I think the, the application of different digital technologies is something as a, a generalized condition, which we see in energy, quite clear opportunities across the upstream space, but considering the value chain more broadly for us to do more with less, which is one of the ways in which we're going to be able to realize that twofold imperative in the transition rightly says is playing out in China now in the most globally significant terms, which is about improving the productivity of, of resources uh, and being able to, you know, not exclude, but to be an inclusive energy system that uh, uh, is as, uh, as productive and indeed, you know, as you rightly say, profitable as, uh, as possible. There's a, there's a lot of mandates that are focused on improving energy efficiency um, and they tend to be quite voluntary. They're, they're often not backed by a lot of uh, compliance penalties in some key segments. And that's really the space where corporate leaders uh, and the upstream sector in particular has always been a leader, not necessarily requiring a regulatory signal uh, to be able to, to realize um, what cutting edge technology can do to improve the, the performance of a given resource. Um, and if nothing else, we're going to need better visibility of that productivity because as Mike says, you know, there's a, there's a wealth of data being produced by the upstream sector on a daily basis. And for, for all of that, the ESG investor segment almost has an insatiable appetite when it comes to different metrics. So some of the digital platforms that are emerging give us the chance as a sector to really speak much more clearly about the very positive stories that we have to offer in terms of what steps have been taken to reduce emissions over time. We're seeing a lot of that on methane uh, emerging, and that's a, a really important signpost for the industry. But it's also about how our portfolios have been able to, to perform and uh, us to provide a really clear and you know, perhaps more consistent basis uh, for us to describe the unique contributions that the uh, the energy sector can and will make to the energy transition. So, as I said, let's 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 bring this to a little bit of a conclusion. I mean, we've touched on a lot of fascinating topics, but we see. Um, well, I have sort of a twofold question here to to wind this up, just to make it more complicated. Because when we talk about um, net zero goals we you know we have governments we have large corporate entities typically as jenny said uh china has now got their own goal uh, mine's a mine's a two-piece question which which may be a little bit difficult but there is sort of a concept that um as we move into this energy transition it is going to impact every single person on the planet so we hear a lot from uh, a bp let's say or uh, from a government somewhere about what they want to do, but ultimately it's going to reside with individuals that are possibly going to have to change the way they live. That could mean spend more for some period of time on power, potentially. Um, so I'm curious about the sort of this concept of, is this being driven? You mentioned the G20, Stephen. Is it, a, is it it's going to require a global, mandate, I guess, and sort of thoughts on that. But really, where I'm going, this, this long-winded question is, 
all of these goals that are coming out of countries, um, governments, maybe in our case slash, you know, NOCs, large, large energy providers, and then of course the EMP space. But um, do we think uh, 2030, 2060, um, I know this is a difficult question, but I'd like to hear from each of you sort of in a, in a, in a quick way, do you think it's realistic? Are we on the path? It's the big question. But what is your perspective and maybe what do you think is really crucial in order for any of these goals that have been made public to really be realistic? Jenny, tell us tell us from your perspective. I would say there are four main things, particularly for China, achieve that net zero carbon pledge. One is energy efficiency. Two is electrification. Three is renewable development. Uh, things that we already knew, things that we are already doing, but we need to accelerate that part, path, pathway of development. And the, the fourth one is new technology, new low carbon technologies that we are just barely scratching the surface. So those are the four things that I think will be very important for China to achieve that goal. And again, this is where this particular market is a very much a top down policy, top down approach. But yes, for companies to be able to survive and thrive in this new direction, this new environment, you better fit in. Great. Mike, what do you think? Are you going to get yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it has to, well, in what through one lens, David, it has to be a truly global effort because um, if you don't do it globally, then a handful of countries will do some seriously heavy lifting only then to be offset um, by developing countries who who become quite polluting as they develop. So you're you're then you you have to say, look, when we're when we are moving ourselves towards this uh, net zero, um, we have to help developing countries. We can't shift our um, obsolete polluting equipment there and 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 thereby uh, export the problem somewhere else. Because overall, if you then look at it through a global lens, um, it won't happen as fast as anyone wants uh, wants it to happen. I, I think that's that's a that's one thing. The other thing I would say is like any project, right? Whether you're building an extension at home, doing a super complex project um, at work, a lot of time goes into the groundwork. Then the project gets going and initially the winds are quite big. Um, I, I think the tail of the tail end of this project to get us to net zero will be the most interesting for me, how we mop up um, those final pockets to, to reach that transition point. Great. Interesting. Stephen? Yeah, and for I, I think um, on the one hand, net zero doesn't mean no emissions, right? So we have to be clear that there will continue to be emissions produced um, by certain types of energy uh, consumption uh, patterns over time. Uh, and the work that we've done modeling um, the, the pursuit of net zero goals points to uh, a couple key steps. So you have to minimize energy related CO2. So that's going to focus a lot upstream on reducing methane, much is already being done, still more will have to, um, reducing some of the fuel consumed uh, to drive upstream uh, EMP practices. So that's where renewables and, uh, and electrification have a, have a unique role to play in reducing the, uh, the scope one footprint of, uh, of upstream operations. And then for others, for the consumers of the oil and gas industry, it's going to evolve a lot of efficiency and supply diversification. But then some other steps have to follow. You have to remove 
the CO2 that uh, is being produced. And you have a couple different options there. CO2 removal technologies like carbon capture, we've modeled pathways where they're absolutely essential. So the role uh, and the, the policy support through uh, venture capital, new investment and corporate strategies to support carbon capture will be critical in creating a possibility for a net zero future in some portfolios and indeed in some countries. And where that may not be appropriate, then things like nature-based solutions and essentially non-energy solutions like in forestry or agriculture to the gross emissions produced by the production and consumption of energy, that's how you can achieve that goal, but it, it should not be really taken for granted. The level of effort to realize such uh, a shift in emissions is monumental. It will be the, uh, uh, it re will require a wholehearted acceptance of a transformation of how we produce and consume energy and Mike's right the world over. China is 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So the pursuit of that goal will contribute much towards the overall outcome of the Paris Agreement and its vision of a below two degree world. But there's more than a hundred different countries that have net zero mandates for 2050 now. So it is the standard for action. And one of the things that's really notable in 2020 is that from the largest um, super majors, more and more clients all focused on net zero and they're being matched by their bankers and other segments of the economy. So net zero has really become an idea whose, uh, in a sense, whose time has come. It's the new standard for climate action, but it's not going to happen accidentally. It's going to require a greater effort than we've ever been able to realize before. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, it, it is massive in nature. It's going to require a whole new level of measurement and I think analytics and analysis uh, as we work along this pathway. And, you know, let's say 30 years uh, from now, it will be fascinating, will it not, to look back? I mean, we're talking about uh, global change on really on the level of like the Industrial Revolution in some respects. If you think the entire energy uh, uh, infrastructure will be turned on, on its head or on its side, so to speak. Great. Fantastic conversation. I want to thank uh, all three of you. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so much more here, and I think on future DX Talks. Um, there's plenty of particular space to dive uh, into this fantastic uh, introduction. So um, with that, thanks very much. Thanks, everybody who's uh, watching and listening to this. We look forward to seeing you on the next uh, episode of DX Talks. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed this special episode. For the latest insights, be sure to look up IHS Market Energy on LinkedIn or Twitter, or check out our blog at ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Submit your ideas or questions to our podcast team at ihsmarket.com slash upstream podcast. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.